Welcome to the Everything Coworking Podcast, where every week I keep you updated on the latest trends and how-tos in coworking. I owned and operated co-working spaces for eight years and then served as the executive director of the Global Workspace Association for five years. And today I work with hundreds of operators and community managers every month, allowing me to bring you thought-provoking operator case studies and inspirational interviews with industry thought leaders to help you confidently stay on top of what's important and what you can apply to your own role in the co-working industry. Welcome to the Everything Coworking Podcast. It's great to be here with you. Happy holiday season. Hopefully, if you're listening live this week, you're about to get some downtime and spend some time with friends and family celebrating whatever holiday you celebrate and enjoying the new year. This week's guest is Alethea Hankins. She is the VP of Ops at Common Desk. This was a super fun conversation to have, and you guys are going to love it. So Nick Clark is the CEO, and Alethea works closely with him, has been a part of Common Desk for six years. So she started as a part-time community manager and had to survive six interviews and a happy hour to get that job. And she's progressed in her role over time. And Common Desk last year, I think, was acquired by WeWork. So Common Desk is now a WeWork company, still operating fairly independently. So she talks about that transition. Common Desk, if you don't know much about them, they've 23 locations, I think, in Texas and North Carolina, I think. They just have a relentless focus on culture and customer experience that I find really interesting. They have this kind of term for what they're trying to accomplish called Daymaker. They're called, they call their team Daymakers. And Alethea talks about how they celebrate that effort and when they see their team members, you know, making days. And I think that's a really, really interesting perspective, given where we are in the work world today. They certainly serve enterprise customers, bigger companies, and they're trying to really make a difference in how someone experiences their day, not just provide workspace. I love to visit their locations. They try to really customize each location. I was just at the Continental Gin building in Dallas and did kind of a drive-through tour with Giovanni when I was uh, in town for a GWA meeting. And it is fabulous. The building has like an artist history. So they did themes throughout the space in their meeting rooms and their common areas around different types of like craftsmanship and artistry. It's a really cool space. And they have their fiction coffee in the lobby, which just adds, especially around the holidays, they had it totally decked out, just a ton of festivity and um, like just vibe and action. I'm a huge fan. So it was really fun. I had met Alethea some time ago, just kind of done a call and chatted with her about the industry and that kind of thing. And so she was kind enough to make some time to get on the podcast. So you're going to love hearing her perspective and more about her role. Before we jump in, we are continuing our How I Did This series for 2023. I love this series. I love getting operators together that have, you know, kind of created an expertise in an area or doing something a little bit unique that I think you should know about. So we've done this year or or just doing something really well. We've done, you know, folks who do really well with their virtual office digital mail programs. 
We did a CRM, how I did this. We did a how I scaled to multiple locations. We did a co-warehousing session, which is our most recent one in November. And in January, we are doing a session on how I started a podcast and used it to benefit my co-working space. And on that panel, we have Rachel Myers from The Collective Co., which is on the South Shore in Massachusetts, outside of Boston, Kim Lee, who is the founder of Forge in Birmingham, Alabama, and Christy Alexander, who is the founder of WorkSmart in Glens Falls, New York. So they're going to share how they use their podcast, how they started it, answer any questions, and talk about how it's impacted their co-working business. So that is January 19th. You have to register live to participate, and you do that by going to everythingcoworking.com forward slash H-I-D-T for how I did this. So we'd love to see you there if that topic is interesting for you and our Academy members get the recording, but everybody else, you got to make it live. So put it on your calendar by registering everythingcoworking.com forward slash H-I-D-T. We will see you then in the new year. Welcome. I am here with Alethea Hankins, who is Vice President of Operations at Common Desk, which is now a WeWork company. Good to see you this morning, although it's lunchtime for you. Yeah, just right at noon. So yeah, good to yeah. see you too. Thanks for having me. What? Which location are you in? I'm at our Continental Gen building. So it's in Deep Ellum in Dallas. It's one of two locations we have in Deep Ellum. Perfect. It yeah. looks cloudy outside. Yeah, it's rainy and cloudy and kind of cold, cold for Dallas. Yeah, totally. (laughs) It was 43 here this morning, which is kind of cold for us. I was like, ooh, yeah. Yes, that's, (laughs) I think, weather. Yes, absolutely. We had a big cold front come in over the weekend. So last week it was like 70s, 80s. And now I think our highs are in the 50s. So, so we were supposed to see that location when we were in town for the conference. Yes. Yeah, you guys are going to have a happy hour, right? We ran late. And had to go straight to dinner because there was a ton of traffic. It was, took us an hour yeah. to get to dinner. Absolutely. You're coming from Plano or but the we north, also right? were late. I'm trying to remember why we were so late. Something <laughs> happened and we were late. Yeah, I was really surprised. And I, wait, have you been to the place that we went to with Nick? I don't even know what it was Cry called. Cry Wolf, right? Yeah. It's like a whole I've never been. Dominoes. Yeah, I have never been, but I know he loves that place. So I heard you guys had a great time. We did have a great time, although yeah. all the way there, I was kind of like, I think we should turn around. There's so much yeah. traffic. This is <laughs> yeah, and the traffic like, it's is totally bad. fine. It is my favorite place. And I really wanted to <laughs> share it with you guys. <laughs> yeah, I think he says it's like his top restaurant in America. Yes, I'm like, well, that's you- what he said. <laughs> okay. You know, <laughs> right. I don't know I what like, your scale okay. is, but. <laughs> I know. We'll be there. Okay. Tell us a little bit about you. So you live, do you live nearby Deep Ellum? Ellum yeah, or? I do. So I live in a neighborhood called Oak Cliff, which is probably like 10, 15 minutes south of our Deep Ellum location. Uh, I lived in Oak Cliff for like the last five years or so, moved to Texas in 2016. From, usually I'm originally from the Northeast, uh, oh. but moved here with my husband in 2016 and started working at Common Desk almost immediately. So I should have realized no Dallas accent. No, no Dallas, no accent, really. I grew up military, so lived all over the place, um, including Germany in high school. So I went to four different high schools. Yeah, moved around a bunch. Okay. Are you in Dallas? Just Are you Dallas for life? I think so. Uh, We really, really like it here. And my husband and I have been thinking a lot about this because he's from North Carolina. I'm kind of from everywhere, but we did our underground North Carolina. And so I was like, will we move home? Won't we? That's, I feel like, the will we, won't we of our life right now. But 
Dallas, we've created such a great community here and the people here are so nice. I think it would just be really hard to replicate that. I've moved a ton, so I know that you can. There's like yeah. life after the move. Yeah. I know that. But yeah. I think that what we have here is just so unique with our friends and our jobs. We're yeah. really happy here. So probably great city. It is. It really is. It has so much to offer. It has like all of the feel of a big city that you would get from some of like the larger cities in the Northeast, but still some of the like hometown feel of a smaller one. Wait, do you ever listen to Freakonomics? I do listen, not all the time. So I can't say like... (laughs) I can't remember we talk about this because I was on a kick about this for a while, but they did a two-part episode on why Dallas is growing so quickly. Oh, really? I need to listen to that. Yeah. If I was going to say, if you like it, you would enjoy those two episodes. It was, I don't think they've ever done a two-parter. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, yeah. I was a big podcast. Like I listen, I think I go through spurts with podcasts, you know, where I'm like, all I'm doing is listening to podcasts. And so I'm listening to so many, and then I take three months off and I'm just listening to music. So I'm coming back. Mary Catherine, one of my coworkers and I were just talking about that. She listens to the daily every morning. And so usually when I'm in my podcast realm, she, her and I talk about that. So, okay, the daily, what else? What, what's your, what's another favorite? Oh, love this American life. I mean, I just feel like you just can't, the stories, you know, I just love yeah. a good story. Uh, listen to a lot of Brené Brown. So unlocking, I think it's unlocking us and then dare to lead as uh, so listen to those. And then just Wait, random other podcasts ones. Podcasts or books? Podcasts. Oh, okay. I yeah. She has about. a podcast that comes out on her dare to lead series. It's every, I think Monday that comes out. So I've been listening to a lot of her stuff. I never listened to her much, but she was on Glennon Doyle's podcast. Oh, Do, yeah. I don't know if you follow her. She was, and they were no, so I funny. I was, I bet. Like, oh my God, this woman <laughs> is hilarious. She uh, is, she's really fun. And we've read her books through Common Desk. And so I just, huge Brenda Brown fan. So, do you have a book club? We do have a book club. I would say that right now it's a mix of everyone's just reading whatever book they want. And then you just talk about it on Thursday. Okay. <laughs> it has been very hard to rein people in to read the same book. The same so book. right now we just encourage reading. And then you we have like an hour every Thursday where you can just talk about whatever book you are reading and recommend it. And okay. uh, it's a very interesting approach to a book club. But we tried reading one book that everyone was reading. It just wasn't working for us. This so. is total like common desk culture. You're yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> making it work for you. Yeah, I think that's exactly who we are. It's like, we'll do like kind of the book club concept, but we'll just put our own rules around it where you read whatever you want and you can just talk about it in front of everyone. Totally. I kind of like it because I'm always looking for like, what's the next thing? You know, Mara Hauser. Mara was in a book club. Yes. So she would always send me her list and then, you know, go look through the list. And she's yeah. taking a break from her book club. And I was like, Mara, how am I going to get a reading list? So that would be perfect. What's your favorite type of books to read? I mean, I read a lot of like business books, but I also love, oh, who's the author? I can't remember. The one who writes about like, Kristen Hanna, I think is her name. Okay. Kristen, I probably got that slightly wrong. I don't know. I like a lot of different stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I I love to read. Me too. And I love to just get lost in a book. But the problem is if I'm like, I will, will get lost in a book and like stay up too late and Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I love getting lost in like the fiction of it. It's like a nice escape. Yeah. My husband loves TV. So we watch a lot of shows together, but they're always like critically acclaimed and like books are just my time for just me, you know? So. Yeah. And whatever you feel like <laughs> I was going to say, I will read smart books and then I will read like 
just like beach reedy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Literally, there, I think there's a book called Beach Read, and it was great. I read it this summer, and it was so cute. <laughs> That's too funny. Um, okay, and it's just you and your husband. Any pets? Yes, we have a dog, Jones. He's an Aussie lab mix. We adopted him right after we moved here, so in October, the same month that I started working at Common Desk. He's funny. He's really quirky, kind of weird. <laughs> it's dog should But be. we love him. Yeah. Okay. Can I tell you a quick funny story about my dog? So I have two dogs. Yeah. One is seven and one is a six month old. So yesterday morning. Oh, you have a puppy. Yeah. She, and she's crazy. Her name is Charlie without an E. And okay. she is, you know, puppy phase. So mm-hmm. she's totally nuts all the time. Yeah. Bart and she barks at Louie. She wants him to play. She's a mm. lot of work and I have to hide in the house from her because it's just, it's noisy. Anyway, so yesterday was Sunday. We went for, I took them for a long walk in the morning to like mm. tire them out. And then I went for a walk with a friend of mine. And then I came back and I had to catch up on like some work and whatnot. And it was like one o'clock. I had taken them for a walk early. So I was done by, it was like one o'clock. And I was like, where is Charlie? Like oh, no. all of a sudden There's I realized she, she'd been really quiet which never happens. And my husband had left the house. And so it was just my daughter and I. And so we find her on her bed and she had peed on her bed and wouldn't get up. And so the end of the story is totally fine. But I was very anxious because we lost a dog um, Mm. in 2021. And I was like, something's very wrong with her. Like she couldn't walk straight. She was Mm. like, and she'd been sleeping. So I freaked out and like emergency vet. So we get in the car go to the vet. I left my daughter at home. She had to go to a gymnastics thing. Anyway, I think there's something seriously wrong. The vet calls me like five minutes later and she's like, we think Charlie had some marijuana this morning. Oh, I no. know. <laughs> <laughs> they give me the whole like, is there any in the house? No, there's none in the house. I'm like, I live in this really quiet neighborhood. Like I oh, man. can't really, really. And she was like classic symptoms. She's going to be fine. She like needs to sleep. <laughs> oh, my, that is that's crazy because I was in Raleigh last week visiting our location there and then also visiting a friend and her mom's dog had something similar where she was like took her. She had passed out. She had gone to the bathroom in the house. She was like, something yes. is wrong. Right. Took her to the vet and the vet was like, this is classic case of marijuana consumption. She was so confident. I was like, this must happen all the time. This is so yeah. $400 visit later. Oh, she's like, she's fine. And she is totally fine today. And I was yeah. like, I texted my husband. I was like, maybe we should consider like some puppy edibles or yeah. <laughs> I think they're totally happens. kidding for all the pet lovers, but I was like, I kind of miss chill Charlie because she's back to her normal. She was just asleep. Today. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, she eats everything when we walk. So she must've like, yeah, she found something on the street. Yeah. And, it, and she said, you know, it must, it can be very dangerous for them if they eat a lot of it, but yeah. Anyway. Oh man, that's funny. That's crazy. That's the second one I've heard of in the last week. So everyone, if you do have edibles, hide them because I was like, maybe the park, like I can't really, somebody must've just dropped something like walking around. I don't know. Anyway. Okay. So tell us about you and your role at Common Desk. So I want to hear what you're doing now, but also you started as a community manager and six I years did. ago, and nobody yeah. stays in co-working for six years. <laughs> I know. Like, so interesting. I know. I yeah. Tell us, like, what did you do before co-working? How did you find yeah. Common Desk? And Absolutely. Hi, this is Josh Freed, CEO of Proximity. When we started Proximity, we did it for one reason. We didn't like how hard it was to run our co-working spaces. 
At first, we tried testing different space management software on the market. And look, we found that we had to use multiple software solutions. Then we spent way too much time trying to sync them all together. And then we spent even more time training our staff and worse yet, our members on how to use this overcomplicated solution. We ended up going circles attempting to manage our software instead of letting software do what it's supposed to, which is help run our business. Our members were frustrated. We were frustrated. We just didn't think it should be so hard to operate a co-working space. So we built our own solution to make co-working spaces easier to manage, all packaged up in one easy-to-use platform. Refined by feedback from hundreds of co-working spaces over the last five years, Proximity Software is simple for operators and best of all members, and it is backed by our award-winning U.S.-based customer support team. It's time to stop settling for overcomplicated software. Get software that was actually purpose-built for co-working by co-working space operators. See for yourself. Our team is available to chat with everything co-working podcast listeners, and you can schedule your call today at proximity.space forward slash Jamie. Yeah. So my undergrad, my degree is in integrated marketing communication. So I spent the first four years out of school focused on marketing. I worked for a church. I worked for a PR firm. I worked for a startup. And actually in the startup role in DC, that was my first time being introduced to co-working. We worked out of a co-working space called 1776. Oh, yeah. If you're familiar with yeah. yeah. I'd seen them on Twitter and like looked up what co-working was. They were opening their very first location in DC. And I had told my boss, I was like, please, like, I think we should sign up. And so I like ran to DC and like gave our check to be like, <laughs> we're going to be a founding member, like a shared member, but it felt so legit at the time. <laughs> uh, but also excited. It was really fun. So worked there. And that was my first introduction into co-working. And then my husband and I, we had been, we dated all through college and then did four years of long distance while he was in med school and I lived in DC. Wow. And then he is a physician. So we matched in Dallas for residency and moved down here. And I was, I had loved my job, but wasn't sure what I wanted to do next. And it was really when like social media was really on the rise. It's like 2012. So Instagram was becoming a thing. And I had started to do a lot of social media management and just realized that was not the life I wanted. I didn't want to live like in a, you know, persona behind a screen. I really wanted to be in person. And I didn't know if that's what I wanted to do long-term as like marketing kind of evolved that way. So looked for jobs and saw Common Desk, uh, you know, like you do when you move to a new city, you know nothing. I went to a bunch of coffee shops and we had this Wi-Fi campaign at the time where Common Desk sponsored all the Wi-Fi. That. Yeah, yes. yeah. Of all the local coffee shops. It was so like, scrappy and creative. Yeah, so scrappy. And so I felt like it was just everywhere. It's so like everywhere I would go, I'd be like, I'm going to go try this coffee shop. Go try that. I didn't know anyone. And Common just Common Desk was Common just like, Common Desk. Common Desk. <laughs> I was like, what is that? And I was like, oh, brainwashing you. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, co-working. That's so fun. You know, maybe if I get a remote job or something like that, I can work from there. And then I thought as I was just like continuing to evolve, I was just like, all right, I'm going to see if they have anything available. So I called them. Like, hey, do you guys, you know, I'm, I'm in marketing. Are you guys hiring? And they said, no, but you can send us your resume. And you know how that is when you're looking for a yeah. job. You're like, all right, cool. Thanks. So it's just going we'll to like, it. Yeah. yeah, I'm like in the black hole of wherever resumes go. Yeah. And so I didn't at the time. And then like three days later, I was still thinking about it. And was just like, well, if I don't send my resume in, then, I'll, you know, that's on me. So I decided to send it in. They called me back uh, within like a day and actually invited me in for an interview. And the only thing they had available was like a part-time job as an assistant community manager for our Oak Cliff location. And a classic Nick, actually, he made me take the role without knowing what location I was going to get because he didn't want someone who cared more about the location. Oh, he wanted someone who like really cared about the yeah. job. 
So it was between Plano, our Plano location we were about to open and our Oak Cliff location. And I took it because I just felt like called. I loved it. I like came in for my interview. I had six interviews for a part-time assistant community manager role. (laughs) Yes, six interviews. I had a happy hour. I had to, they made me go to a member event where I had to like work the event essentially to see like, can she hang with members? So did that. And I just loved it. It was so fun. I knew I really wanted to be here. So started the job in Oak Cliff and have had so many roles since then. Was assistant community manager, then community manager. Uh, Then I was our director of operations. Then I went into this weird phase where I just kind of was any new role we needed, right? So Whatever like, to get done. <laughs> yeah, I think my, like Nick tried to name it like special ops is what he wanted to call me, like director of special ops. Like and, deal. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, I'm just like imagining you like dropping in from the ceiling. Like, I don't think that's going to like really work outside of this environment. I'd love a title that works beyond right. this, <laughs> but I got to launch our first uh, market outside of Dallas. So we acquired Link Coworking. Um, from Liz yep. Elam. Um, and so got to work with her and Stormy, which was wonderful. And just like a huge learning experience of like what they had created in Austin was so successful. And we got to like take that and build on that. And that was like the foundation of our Austin market. And then got to just start like evolving all of our processes. And I think that's really been my main job over time. I've had this role since 2019, August or October of 2019 is when I got VP of operations, probably way before I deserved a vice president title. But um, I feel like I've grown into that now. So now I oversee all of our co-working, all of our coffee, people and culture, marketing, anything related to operations. Nick and I have divided out the company really related to like growth and development, which he leads and anything related to like our sustainable operations of our business. That's what I lead. Isn't it interesting how you never know? Like yeah. you, you <laughs> never knew when you turned in your resume that six years later, you know, you're like going through six interviews to get to be a part-time assistant community manager. <laughs> and now you're the VP of ops. And yes. Now you're part of WeWork. It's like, yes, you never know. Absolutely. It's so interesting. I have a good friend who just got laid off from Facebook and she, mm. along with 11,000 other people, yeah. A lot of people, but she's, you know, she's really like struggling. And I was just like, you never know. Like you didn't know when you started there, like, you know, yeah. So yeah, exactly. No, I think about that a lot. feel really lucky with my career growth at Common Desk and just lucky that I think the opportunities I've been presented, especially like at the time I came in, I was employee number seven or eight. And now we have a hundred something, which is still small, but feels so big. And I feel really thankful that I got to be a part of that growth story for Common Desk. So do you handle hiring now? I do, but we have a wonderful person, uh, Mary Catherine Hughes. She's in charge she's of- She's also been there culture. for a long time. Is that right? She's, yes. She's okay. been there for almost five years now. So yeah, okay. she's been there for a long time. And she started as a community manager. I'm actually, all the people that are on my team are head of people and culture, our directors of community, the person who heads up launch. Marketing's probably the only one, but the rest of us all started as community managers, which I think really shows like how serious we take that role because being a community manager, like, I mean, those are the all-stars, the people, that's why members are signing up, right? Like they're, we can design beautiful spaces and that's definitely part of it, but they stay um, and build community because of our teams. And so I love that most of the people who are making decisions around who we want to be and like the rules we put in, into place all started at the location level, which is really cool and neat. But she's the one, Mary Catherine, she's the one who oversees all of our people. Yeah. 
So does everyone still go through six interviews to get hired? <laughs> we do not. <laughs> no, we do like, not do that, oh, but they go through a lot. <laughs> yeah, they definitely go through a lot of interviews. I mean, that's the most important thing. The wrong hire right. can really set you back. Even if like, you know, if they're great people, just not a right fit for us or we're yes. not the right fit for them. Yep. So we take hiring very seriously. So we have... Mary Catherine's done an amazing job of just building out like the pipeline and what that looks like. And one of the best things through WeWork is we've been able to use like a lot of their processes and things that they've learned over the years to help just make what I think we're naturally gifted at even better. Yeah. I would say from an outsider's perspective, that's one of the unique, you have such a unique culture, which came up mm-hmm. at the conference. Nick was on yeah. the the culture <laughs> panel and the tattoos. <laughs> and Yes, and, I know the tattoos. Things. Everyone yeah. knows about that. <laughs> But it's part of your brand, right? It's part of mm-hmm. who you are, which makes you so unique. And I think maybe the six interviews kind of laid the foundation because you, Mary Catherine, like he worked hard to find those people and to vet you. And now, you know, six years or five years later, you're still here and yeah. contributing to the company. So yeah. what's your favorite part about your role today? My man, that's a tough question. Um, I love so many parts of it, which is the wonderful thing about being here for so long is you kind of move up and the roles are what you make them, right? But um, my favorite part is the fact that I think I get to develop so many young people. My Like what I'm best at and what I really enjoy the most is coaching and leading. And so the fact that I get to watch so many people have like their first wins in a role, especially because we hire pretty young people fresh out of school and like watching them grow and develop and learn. It's so exciting. And so I love seeing that and celebrating with them when like they learn how to sign up a member or they close their first deal or they have their very first hard conversation with their employee because they're 22 and had never led anyone before, obviously. So I just, I love that I get to be a part of that and help coach them and develop them. So hopefully they can be, you know, better employees, better people and whatever they have coming after Comdesk. What is it about your experience that helped you to develop those skills? Yeah, I think Nick has a, a big role in that. You know, Nick has gave me a lot of opportunities at a young age, and he provided a really safe place for me to try a lot of new things and fail. And I think showed me what it looks like to have a partner in a boss that would say, like, go try it. And if you mess up, like, I'll be there waiting for you to like clean up the messes, right? Like, it's going to be okay, but I'd rather you go try. And so I think that was like so foundational when I was a community manager that as I've got to build this company with him, that's like how I lead and how we coach of like, it's a safe place to mess up. And I think that a lot of our success comes from that. It's really interesting because I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs and smaller companies, like there's no time to mess up. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like you just get on that. And I know you guys work hard and you're growing quickly. And, you know, with the WeWork (laughs) partnership, there's a lot of, you know, maybe pressure to keep going on locations. And so I I could see, you know, not intentionally sort of losing that commitment to Mm -hmm. like letting people. So I love that you're hanging on to that. I love that Nick had it and that you guys are like uh, holding it because also hiring folks who it's their first job or maybe their second job is a lot of work because you're training them like how to work versus taking someone from a big company who already kind of knows Mm -hmm. all those things. Mm -hmm. I always warn folks who are hiring community managers like, it probably shouldn't be their first job because that's so much work for you. Right. So you have to be like really passionate. You have, it clearly like fills your cup. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, you do. You have to, 
I think commonness is a place that celebrates people's wins and their failures, which is unique. And I think it's in line with a lot of our values, but one of our values is keep it real. And I think you own up to it, right? So when you make a bad call that happens, we're human, right? Like not every call you make, whether you're experienced or inexperienced is going to be good. And so I think creating that foundation for people to like celebrate both of like you tried something and didn't work, not a big deal. That's not embarrassing. That just means you're trying and you're human. I think it provides people a lot of autonomy and hopefully skills that they'll take to their next job because they won't be afraid of messing up. What does the interaction look like across locations? Like, is there, you know, kind of a, an all hands or weekly? How do people yeah. sort of share what they've learned? Absolutely. We have Slack is, I think everyone uses Slack, right? But like that is definitely where um, our community teams communicate a lot on their sharing best practices. And especially we try to create communities. I think anyone who knows when you have lots of different locations and your location teams have to be physically in their location, it can be hard to share yeah. best practices or see each other because you're spread out. So Slack has been a really pivotal part of our culture um, and sharing practices around how you run a space or, hey, I came up like this is something that's an issue for me. Any Can someone call me real quick so I can talk you through this? Our teams really rely on that. And then we do have a weekly all staff. So Mary Catherine and Nick host a weekly all staff where we do a bunch of different things, but share values. Nick, we do an ask me anything with Nick. So people will ask him literally anything. And I mean, they do, they'll be like, what's your favorite holiday tradition? Or, you know, what do you hate about your job? Like they'll ask him all this stuff, but I think that like allows people to feel really connected. And we do daymaker shout outs on there, which I think Nick probably, I think he talked about that in his culture chat at the conference. But, you know, if you like basically catch someone living out our values is really like the concept of daymaker. And so, you know, you can submit like, Hey, this person really showed up for me this week. I had a project that I was going to, you know, not be able to meet my deadline and they came and helped me do it. So we'll do that. And I think that allows people to stay connected to like, see what everyone is up to and just be able to feel like you're a part of something, even if you're not actually in the physical space with each other. Wait, can you talk about the Daymaker concept for a minute? For yeah. Who wasn't, yeah. At the, at yeah. the conference. Yeah, absolutely. So Daymaker, it's really around, like we exist to make days better. That's what we do for our members. Um, and you know, we want to do that with inside office space. So you'll see most of our products, you know, if it doesn't align with that, then we're not going to be doing it, but it's become a huge part of who we are. So being a day maker is, I feel like an ethos that you live out. And that's like how you show up for work. It's how you show up for your customers. It's how you show up for your teammates. And so we have, we have hats, we have swag, we have some people who have tattoos, but I won't go into too much detail. <laughs> <laughs> what happens in the tattoo parlor stays in the tattoo parlor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. So do your members know about this or is it like a behind the scenes? The daymaker concept? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, actually. I don't know if they would know like we exist to make days better, but I think from our member surveys, they know that like, that is a part of who we are. So yeah. I think the the most common it. feedback, yeah, they can feel it. The most common feedback that we see in our member surveys, which we do quarterly, is just around our teams and how much the community teams impact those members on a day-to-day. And I think maybe they don't call them daymakers, but I do believe that that's exactly what they're doing. So I'm going to give you a book recommendation. Yeah. I've been going to talk about it on the on the podcast, but I have to read it. I listened to it. It's called Unreasonable Hospitality. Mm. Have you heard about this book yet? I have not. Will Gidara? I don't know if I'm saying his last name right. So he started, he was a restaurant guy. He started with Danny Meyer Mm. in New York and Danny Meyer is like big, you know, hospitality. And 
there it's like kind of a similar ethos. I'm trying, I'm trying to remember the name of the restaurant, 11 Madison something. Anyway, okay. they put this person on staff who's like job it was to do like ridiculous things for guests. Like mm. if somebody came in and was like, oh, we're from out of town and, you know, it's our first snowfall ever. And the kids are, you know, at the hotel or whatever they would this was one example he gave the the they would run out and buy sleds and then like drive them to central park and have, <laughs> give them like a sledding party and they just they did this a few times and they were like we want this to be a thing like mm-hmm. and it i keep feeling i keep thinking i i like love the book the book was so inspiring and i keep thinking about like how do those concepts flow through to workspace because it's Absolutely. not the same as the, you know, mindset no. you're in when you go out to, uh, this is like fine dining, really high end, you know, it's it's not the same. What could it look like? And so the yeah. Daymaker concept is, I just think, so current and relevant, you know? Absolutely. And it reminds me of this book. I read something probably similar, The Nordstrom Way. I read that over the summer, which is all about Nordstrom and like their, who they are and how like just valuing the customer. And I think so many people even as they get higher up, like, I think that was like a gut check for me. I haven't been on the community team in five years. So it's been quite some time, but like, you know, the managers and even like the Nordstrom family will go in and talk to their customers. And so like making sure that we don't lose that as you grow, like I never lose sight of why I'm here. I'm here to like make days better. Yes. For our staff, but also for our members and member experience isn't just on location teams to deliver. Like it's on everyone. And if you live that out as the leader, then people will continue to do that. So my team and I, we did like a little cookie event where we went around to everyone's office and like introduced ourselves and just, I want to make sure that people know who I am and that like, if they're having an issue, they can come to me too. So. Hey, I just wanted to jump in really quickly before we continue with our discussion. If you're working on opening a co-working space, I want to invite you to join me for my free masterclass, three behind the scenes secrets to opening a co-working space. If you're working on opening a co-working space, I want to share the three decisions that I've seen successful operators make when they're creating their co-working business. The masterclass is totally free. It's about an hour and includes some Q&A. If you'd like to join me, you can register at everythingcoworking.com forward slash masterclass. If you already have a co-working space, I want to make sure you know about Community Manager University. Community Manager University is a training and development platform for community managers, and it can be for owner operators. It has content training, resources, templates from day one to general manager. The platform includes many courses that cover the major buckets of the community manager role from community management, operations, sales and marketing, finance, and leadership. The content is laid out in a graduated learning path. So the community manager can identify what content is most relevant to them, depending on their experience and kind of jump in from there. We provide a live brand new training every single month for the community manager group. We also host a live Q&A call every single month so that the community managers can work through any challenges that they're having or opportunities, get ideas from other community managers, build their own peer network. We also have a private Slack group for the group. So if you're interested in learning more, you can go to everythingcoworking.com forward slash community manager. Yeah, I think it's super meaningful. In the book, he used this role called 95.5. And he talked about, you know, he's running a business, so he can't just do ridiculous things all the time. So his approach is 95% of the time, he's like on budget. 
And then, but he allocates 5% of his budget to just be like ridiculous. Like he could yeah. spend it any stupid way, you know, to make customers happy or his team happy, you know? And I, I kind of love that concept. It's a little bit, you know, like your cookies, like 95% of the yeah. time you're like doing, you know, what you need to do. 5% of the time you're going to like take time out and go, yeah, just like do something that's meaningful. Yeah. And I think it can apply to like the the thing I'm thinking of right now is we had a day porter at our Richardson location and it was their birthday and like the community team and the members there through a birthday party for her and like saying her happy birthday and got her a cake. And it's like the members were part of that experience. So I, I do think it's like a part of it, just like making people feel special. You want to feel known wherever, especially yeah. for coming into work, you know, work, you spend so much of your life at work. And if they're going to choose Common Desk to do that, I want to make sure that everyone who comes in like feels that love. And I think our community teams really show that. I'm curious, what is your, has your membership changed post COVID? Like who, this may vary by location a lot, yeah. but yeah. What does your membership look like? Who tends to yeah. join a Common Desk? Absolutely. It changes by location, by market. We have both downtown locations and suburban locations. And I think the biggest change has just been so many remote workers. So people who used to go into an office, but now their entire team is remote. I think that's like the biggest thing. So like learning how to create a culture for those people, I think has been a big shift because it's not just like either like a one person office or just like the average, like a shared desk member who, you know, owns their own business. It's a ton of people who work for larger organizations, but are going to be remote and coming into common desk. And so learning how to help them feel that like part of the community. I think that's been the biggest shift I've seen. And then we have lots of large teams too. So, you know, people who decided they're no longer doing traditional office space and they're coming in and, you know, taking a 50 person suite with us, we've definitely seen an uptick in that. So what does it look like to sort of fold them into the culture? Like, how do you onboard them into like yeah, the common desk absolutely. way? I mean, I think that's something we're still, I'm not even sure we're totally getting right and something that I would hope we continue to evolve in. But I think it's making sure that, there's so many touch points and you're guiding them through that process and that the community teams that we never get big enough where like someone could come join our space and not be known, you know? So if, you know, if you only have two location staff at that location and there's 500 members, there's going to be people who do not feel known in that. And so making sure your staffing allocation is correct, but still fits within the business model and make sure the onboarding process and that you're soliciting feedback and you're trying to check in with them. But I think that's an area that I want us to continue to like really focus on and make sure that no one is coming into our fold and then leaving and never really feeling known in that process. Yeah, it's a really interesting challenge. There's a, I don't know what you want to call it, a theory. It's called Dunbar's number that you can only like really know 150 people. So to your point, if you're applying that, you have to like be really intentional or have the right systems and you have to like systematize (laughs) having people feel known and how do you do that? And how do you divide your team? Maybe almost. Yeah. It's a a lot to figure out. It's like a good problem to have. I think this is one of those things co-working spaces have been waiting for, right? Like that demand Mm -hmm. boom, but it's such a different, it's like the onesie twosies almost like work harder to make themselves known because Mm -hmm. that's part of what they're there for. Yep. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, I mean, we're definitely, this is a a new era for commonness. We've seen a lot of growth, especially in the last year. I was just doing some of our numbers where you know, our membership revenue has grown 62% um, from Q3 last year to Q3 this That's year. Wild. And so, yeah, yeah, amazing. 
Yeah. That's so many new members. That's so many new people. And, you know, we also have so many new staff that you're training. And so I think it just makes you have to be really intentional. If you're having that many people come into the fold, all those community members are learning how to service that many people, especially that's a a year is a short amount of time to adjust your processes and make sure you're ready for that influx of people. So making sure that our leadership team is always thinking about that, that we're constantly being a part of the conversation and thinking about what it's like to be on the front lines. Like you just can't lose sight what it's like to be on the front lines for the community teams or the members will feel it. I'm curious, you mentioned that you are in charge of coffee. So what is the <laughs> coffee? Because you have your own brand. Mm-hmm. Can you just talk Fiction. about how it's interesting, it's unique. How, how does that fit into the, the business model? Yeah, absolutely. So we have our very first one that we bought in 2017. Um, It was called Method Coffee. It's now Fiction. We rebranded and it's like a just retail coffee shop. Um, It's in Nick's neighborhood. So um, I think that was part of the draw, but that's probably going to be the only one that is like a traditional retail. But I think our CGB location, so the one I'm in right now, I think is like really showcases how you can use it. And the first floor of this building is Fiction Coffee. The second floor is co-working and the third floor um, are like large tenant suites. So it's the first time we've ever like fully integrated all of our products. And I would say like in the you know, we did this, it opened in March of 2021. We didn't get it exactly right then, but I think we've used the last like 12 months, 16 months or so to like really evolve that. And so I think fiction at its best is like an introduction into the Common Desk brand. And so hopefully for people who are coming in and looking for just a coffee offering at fiction, you can come in and experience a little bit of who Common Desk is. And, you know, again, we exist to make days better within an office space Uh, and fiction is a great way for us to do that. So we can do that uh, we can put fictions inside really any office building and make sure that people are feeling that welcoming, that people feel known, that you come in, order your drink. And if you're a regular, like they're going to be like, hey, it's nice to see you again. And they'll know your name. Is it designed to be a source of profit or is it a building amenity? Yeah, I think it can be both. And that's okay. actually one of the things that we are looking at right now of like, what is the next phase of fiction? So fiction has, I think we've used it as amenity in the past. But we're starting to think about what that could look like to further integrate it into our product. And so honestly, TBD on what that looks like. But we are trying a lot of different things <laughs> with fiction because I think that's one of the areas that we can still evolve into. And so like further integrating it into our our co-working spaces, like what would it look like to have almost like a lounge concept? So having, you know, a fiction coffee, but then in the back is your co-working space. Or right now it's just it's like a little welcome in the beginning. And now we're trying to make it more integrated. We'll see. So remind me, I feel like there was a period of time where the community managers were also baristas. Did you have coffee in the, yeah. Is that a phase that you moved on from or? No, so we do. Yeah. yeah. Craft coffee is definitely a part of who we are. So um, each of our locations, even if they don't have a full like fiction coffee, they have like what I would call like a mini fiction at their hospitality bar, which is what we would call like our front desk area. So there's usually like an espresso machine and all of our people are trained on how to pull a shot. Um, that is part of your onboarding. So that is part of the experience because I think craft coffee is one of the amenities that we offer to people. But I think it also just makes you feel good. Like there's just something about a cup of coffee that I think can really brighten people's day. So our teams are fully trained on that. Are they full baristas? No, but we partner with Counterculture Coffee. They have a wonderful training program um, and we put all of our people through that. Oh, that's really cool. Including so, me. I tried. I'm not very good. So, like, no, <laughs> you do not want me to make it. <laughs> I was not very good. 
but I did go through the training. <laughs> it's funny. I do think there's a big skill. There was a, um, a, it wasn't a co-working space, but they had a shared kitchen and they had a cafe in the front and they would make the most amazing cappuccinos. And I would always stand next to the barista and be like, could you just show me one more time how you're foaming that milk? Cause <laughs> yeah. I can't repeat it at home. <laughs> I know our, our baristas are really good at our actual fiction coffees shops. Like I think we have some of the best baristas. Um, but I think what I really love even about like where we're moving and how you know, kind of go back to our earlier conversation around hiring people who are young. I got this from the Nordstrom way, but they say to hire the smile and train the skill. And I think that's what we do at both sides. Like even when it comes to coffee, yeah. we can spend a lot of time training them on how to do a perfect cup of coffee, but you can't teach someone to care about someone else. And so I think really a big ethos of who we are is hiring the smile, training the skill. Yeah. Do you, so I also remember Nick mentioning, I, I love like your, I think this is a cultural thing, not just Nick, like experimenting like okay we're gonna try this we're gonna and I think that's one of the maybe joys of having a scaled business is you mm -hmm. can experiment with things and see how things work not just at one or two locations but kind of so for a while he was using like a personality test for new hires oh yes yeah are you still doing that we do still use that okay yeah we do still use that culture index Yep. Yeah. Can you like just say a couple <laughs> words about that? I think that's really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, I don't know a ton of details. So uh, Mary Catherine probably is better. I'll have to okay. refresh I know exactly to how we use it. <laughs> but I know that it's in the interview process. And I think really what it helps is see around the team dynamic. I think that's how we've utilized it the most is understanding how this person who's coming in and their natural tendencies, because like any personality test is you know, it's not exactly who that person is yeah. going to be, yeah. right? Like there's variations totally. in people, yeah. there's a human element to it, but it can show you what their natural tendencies are and how that could work with the group. So if you have a group that is very, you know, not autonomous or just people who like really like to do like, this is how we do it. Here's our processes. And you're hiring someone who wants to like change everything. It's probably not the right fit for that particular group, right? Because that's not how it's set up. But I think we use, like, we use it both. Like there's been times where like technically on paper, it said this person wasn't the right fit. And then you hire them, you see them, you're like, absolutely they are. Yeah, so totally right. like, we're, it's you know, tool, it's, a, a, it's a tool, yeah. not a rule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. So you, how many locations did, were there when you joined the company? There were two. Two. There were two. And now you have? 23. Yeah. So I mean, can you talk a little bit about what it's been like to scale and from your kind of hat of systems and processes yeah, and absolutely yes so two to 23 big jump and I think that's where someone you have to really be able to embrace change if you're going to work at a company that is scaling you have to be able and like have no pride associated with the systems you create especially like, like for the me. way it's we like, used to do things it's very yeah. humbling uh, especially like in this position like the systems that we had most, all of them, I've basically had a hand in creating. And then you look back and you're like, oh God, that was, I can't believe that was what I said we should do. Like that was a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, um, and owning up point. to it. No and, ego. Like, okay. Yeah, no ego. More. Moving on. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to scale and going to really get things right, I think you have to have people who do not hold on to the old in a way that like, their work is like so tied to who they are. You have to be able to say like that worked for the time. But we've got to move on. We've got to find something else. And you have to really be able, I think, to kind of see the train wreck before it's happening. I think where earlier me wasn't as good as like catching it of like, I would have to change the system once we were already in a bind, right? 
And now I've been really trying to work on seeing it ahead and be like, okay, I need to start working on changing the system now because in six months from now, we're not going to be like the system won't work for us anymore. And helping people get adjusted to that, leading a company through that many changes, like all of a sudden you're just like doubling in like in teams and members. Change is hard no matter what. There's so many books on change management and even little changes are hard for people. And so learning how to get people bought into that and coach them and also like giving them the space to mourn that, especially because sometimes they liked that system. They don't want to do your new system. Um, You're like, I hear that. And today we can be sad that we're no longer using that creamer station, but tomorrow we're using the new creamer. So it's okay. I think that's another, you know, aspect that's challenging about scale is you have to, again, back to sort of the patience of like, Mm -hmm. recognize, I love change. Like I look for it and having the patience, knowing that most humans don't, you know, to Mm -hmm. your point and being patient with that and work, you know, being willing to kind of work through it and not, you know, right. Just go, go along with them at their own pace, but nudge when needed. Yeah, yeah, can be really challenging. And your role is so, I mean, Nick may be a little bit like that too. I feel like I wouldn't be. I'd be the person who needs the you to be yeah. to, <laughs> to, to, to kind of move everybody through those phases because yes, he's definitely someone he's like, let's just rip off the band. I'm like, Yeah, we gotta go. We gotta go down. Like, yeah. Yeah. He's like, let's change it. No big deal. And I'm like, I agree. It is no big deal. However, not everyone's gonna see it that way. And so you have to think about, you know, like in any change management, you think about all your different stakeholders, you think about how they're going to react, and then you like make a plan for it. And just knowing. And people bring so much with them into work, you know, so you never know how someone's going to, you change the creamer station, for example, yeah. and for whatever reason, that's it. Like that is what broke that person that day. And understanding that it's really not about the creamer and usually a lot around the change, it's not about the change. Yeah. It's like what it represents and yeah. allowing people to feel those feelings while also not letting those feelings like make you second guess your decision, especially if you know it's the right one. Yeah. Yeah. So you got an MBA while you in the last yeah. year. Yes, yeah. In May. You? I graduated in May. Has it helped you in your role or like absolutely? Hands down. So glad I got my MBA. Now you're you know, glad. I think now that you're not working. Yes, now I'm glad. When I was night. <laughs> yes. Working full time because, you know, especially that last year, I graduated in May, but I mean, we had COVID during most of that time. So I started in August of 2020. So we were still in the midst of COVID. And then two years, you know, those the past two years within the flex space has been pretty insane. And then you add in an acquisition on top of that, where we got acquired by WeWork in March. And it was a very crazy, crazy time. But I'm really thankful that I did that. I'm thankful that my, my family pushed me towards it, that Nick pushed me towards that, my coworkers, they were so supportive of me doing this. I don't think I would be able to stay in this role if I wouldn't have gotten my MBA because and just really illuminated so many different things. Um, just learned so much, especially around finance. I did not have a background in this. Obviously, like I said, I was in marketing. Then I started as a community manager and I understood oh, like, okay, on budgets. I was okay on them, but like really learning to like look at the business as a whole and make decisions around that, how they all work together. I think it helped me become better about thinking about how landlords think about our management agreements mm, yeah. um, and just like really, I think, rounded out my experience of what it meant to like be a community manager, but like tag on some business acumen onto that. Yeah. So I think commonness would have outgrown my skill set had I not invested in my education. So 
Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Although, I mean, it's so clear that you have exceptional like soft skills. Oh, so <laughs> that's not, a, I also have an MBA and from a school that's not known for their soft skills. Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate that combination is pretty unique. Like sort of that athlete, like you can do both sides now. Yeah. So yeah. Don't underestimate because yeah. all the things I'm hearing you talk about, you know, are, are not really like P and L based, right? They're yes. so critical to the phases that you've gone through. So I'm guessing like Yes, for your skill set and confidence, it's good to have the hard skills, but yes, yeah, it's the the two combined kind of really make the magic. Absolutely. And in the acquisition, I think it was really helpful to understand like what it would mean to be acquired and even like the change processes through that and why we have to do that. Cause now all of a sudden we're part of a publicly traded company, you know, common desk wasn't maybe always doing things exactly, yeah. you know, like we didn't know what we were doing, right? When you start a business, you don't really know yeah. what you're doing. Well, and the so, difference between private and public company is yeah. significant. Yeah, it really is. So I think that was really helpful and even understanding how we have to adjust and change and communicating that to our teams to understand like, here's the rule we have to follow. Here's why we have to follow it. Like, yeah. it's not just a rule for a rule. There's actual consequences to these things. And we're part of a publicly traded company. And here's what we're doing now. I think that was really helpful, even for me to understand too. Right. So I am curious, what is it like to have been acquired? And yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, it's the question everyone asks. So don't yeah. worry. That's yeah. <laughs> it is a roller coaster of emotions. I would say. I think I would be lying if I said that like it's just been all you know rainbows and butterflies. But that's just because I care so much, right? Like being a part of Common Desk and having the opportunity to build it alongside like your baby, my coworkers. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's. I mean, I think probably everyone says it's like true definition of like bittersweet where it is so amazing. I feel so grateful that I got the chance to do this. Like who wouldn't be proud of being able to sell a company and be acquired by like the largest player in the game? Like, I think that's such a testimony to what we built. And I feel so proud of that and so honored that that's like part of a legacy. But when you do that, you're also giving up some parts of you, right? Where there's just other voices in the room and learning to make room for those voices. I think that has been the hardest thing of like, understanding that like their opinions really matter. And actually they have a lot to say and a lot of good insight that I can learn from. And I just have to make room for that. And I think helping our teams coach them through that of just because of the way we did something doesn't mean that if we have to do this, that it's wrong. It's just different and that's okay. Yeah. But we were, because yeah. they've been really wonderful, probably more so than they have to be, you know, like they have given us a lot of freedom. They're so they bought us for a reason. And I think they've let us really do what we do best. And I'm really grateful for that because I did study about like mergers and acquisitions in right. school. And I don't think that is Most normally of the time the they don't work, right? Right. You do yeah. all the case studies and like the the end of the exactly. story, the moral of the story is like they almost never work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I remember what it was like when we were came into Dallas in 2017, right? So like, I think like even within like the local co-working world, like we were just felt like this, like, the big bad guy. And I think when you actually get to spend time with their teams and you spend time, I've gone to a lot of their locations in New York, spent time with their community teams, um, spend time with their members, their leadership team. And they're not actually like that different. Like the reason that they're there, their community teams, they're the same as our community yeah. teams. You know, they're they have a heart for their the members. Same. Exactly. Yeah. But I think it can, you know, the name of WeWork, it can get lost in there, but they really are doing a really good job and providing a wonderful service to their members. And to me, I've learned so much being able to like learn from their teams. 
So do you feel it on a day-to-day or is it sort of here and there in terms of things you're adjusting to from like a bigger picture? Yeah, I do not feel it on a day-to-day, which I'm thankful for. Uh, Most days I come into work and it feels like it's felt for like the past six years. Um, I'm here with my team. I get to see my people with the people that we hired using our processes. I would say there's a lot more reporting, which actually is really wonderful. There's so much structure and so much help because we have to report on certain numbers. but. I love that. I love that I'm being drawn towards that and that we have these numbers. There was, you know, before we kind of just like, feels like it's been a good year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Like>, great. <laughs> um, but now we actually have to. Right. Force. Yeah. Yeah. Enforce better planning and, and yeah. yeah, making sure everybody's kind of rowing in the right direction. Yep. Exactly. So I would say most of the time it feels like it's always felt. And I'm so grateful for that. There's a few times where you're like, oh, yeah, you know, we have to do this thing that feels very corporate. Yeah. And but we were because they've been so helpful in coaching us to like through that of like how to do this when you have to adopt a very corporate policy that feels maybe like not something our teams are used to. They've been really, really great. That's great. Yeah. What are you most excited about right now? Oh, I am really excited for next year. I feel like Common Desk is just getting our feet under us after two years of just insanity. I feel like everyone feels that, but (laughs) like we are growing a lot. We're signing a lot of new locations. We will be opening a lot of new locations next year. And I'm, I'm just really excited about the amount of people we'll get to impact member wise, obviously, but also staff. I'm, I can't wait to add more people to our team to watch people grow, especially our current team, like our, our senior community managers there, they oversee like two to three locations at a time. And that's the group I just, I think it's the most important middle management's like the most important group for you to invest in. And I, I feel like they're right on the cusp of just something really great. And so I can't wait to watch it. That's what I'm really, really excited for, to watch them learn how to oversee even more locations to, to really just grow and develop as leaders. I can't wait to hopefully in a year from now, talk about all the ways I saw them grow this year. I love that. Yeah. Good. And I bet you're excited for maybe a little break over the holidays. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I, it's exciting. It is. I think when you love what you do, I feel like I hate to be that person, but I, I mean, I love my job. It's. I really love being here. So oftentimes when we have a break, I'm like, well, I can't wait to get back because I can't see my friends. Like I miss you guys. So I'm excited yeah. to get to see family and have a small break, but I can't wait to get back. And I think next year is just going to be really kick-ass. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on here, but you can I think totally it's going to be. Okay. Yeah. And I'm excited that people feel that way because I do think, you know, the last couple of years have been so uncertain that it feels Mm -hmm. so fuzzy to look at the next year. Like when you're doing planning for the next year, it's like, I don't know, you know? Right. Totally. (laughs) I'm going to, you know, put this on paper, but let's see. And I feel like now people are feeling like the momentum of positive and just more clarity so that you can. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I feel that. Yeah. yeah, I feel like Nick and I have, I think what's so nice about having a partner like Nick is I just feel like we are in lockstep and both have like very clear ideas of what we're working on and what we're building and what success looks like for everyone in this company. And I just feel confident we won't be distracted. Like we're we're going to go out there and get it. And I'm, I can't wait. <laughs> I love it. Your excitement is infectious. Uh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. I know you guys are super busy. Thank you for taking the time to do this and absolutely kind of story and give us a little inside scoop on what's going on at Common Desk. I really yeah. appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. This was fun. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, tell a friend, hit that subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. It makes a huge difference in helping others like you find us. If you'd like to learn more about our education and coaching programs, head over to everythingcoworking.com. We'll see you next week.